Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. had people 
that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Good afternoon, gentle listeners, and welcome to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about anti fascism. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And we are joined on the line from Portland, Oregon, by freelance journalist Jason Wilson. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Always happy to uh, be on the show. I feel like it's been a long time since we've talked to you, and you've broken some massive stories in the interim. Last big thing that happened after we talked to you, though, was uh, you were featured quite prominently on a list that Adam often put out of journalists who needed to be uh, sunsetted. came after uh, the phrenology blog Quillette published a, uh, a list of journalists they felt were too close to Antifa. Could you just tell us a little bit about what your response was to that? I think the point was to intimidate you into silence, and it doesn't really seem to have worked. It wasn't. It was a pretty unpleasant time for me. A bunch of things happened all in a row i hurt my ankle that was really bad <laughs> and then um you know i had the the tangle i guess with quillette and um that they're them platforming a far-right troll pretending to be uh, a researcher and then and then yeah this guy uh, i'm presuming it is a guy and i think that's fair made this this video an extremely elaborate death threat featuring myself and uh, a number of other colleagues uh journalists and and some activists as well, you know, working in this area. And yeah, it was it was kind of unpleasant and led to more death threats. Yeah, and it was definitely um, dripping with these kind of references to to siege culture and the sort of accelerationist uh, culture that Adam Waffen's a part of. I cannot say for sure that this person is a member of Adam Waffen, but they're definitely close to other parts of that scene, like the Bowl Patrol guys. I, I may I may have a, actually have a lead on that. Um, and we'll see. Stay tuned in, in coming weeks. But um, yeah, that was that was pretty bad. And it was intended to intimidate us, put us off the trail, um, open us up to threats and abuse. And, and it did do some of that. But, you know, I had a I had a few weeks off, enjoyed the summer sun and uh, came back and, and basically started working on 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 this base story almost immediately after that. You've published two big stories about the base in the last week. Uh, I guess we'll just we'll talk about the first one first. Uh, you revealed the identity of the leader of the base, uh, Roman Wolf, a.k.a. Norman Spear, a.k.a. Ronaldo Nazaro uh, uh, of New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, so that that was pretty that was pretty satisfying. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was one of those cases where patient investigation paid off. I guess it, it doesn't always pay off in journalism. You know, you, you get a lot of dead ends and, you know, you get nowhere. But on, on this occasion, I was able to go from a public records request to a, a small county in um, northeast Washington to real estate records, to company records, financial records, to, you know, all, all kinds of traces of this guy's identity and, and I was able to able to identify him late last week. So it has to be said, this guy's in his mid forties and um he's got the lowest kind of online profile of anyone I've ever seen. But everyone leaves traces and um gradually I was able to build up 
a very bizarre picture of who this person is. This guy, Ronaldo Nazaro, he bought the land in northeast Washington because he, he's he's ostensibly in public, he's a fan of the, the Butler Plan or the Northwest Territorial Imperative, which is this idea that the Pacific Northwest is is where they're going to build the white ethno state after, um, after you know, decadent. Uh, American liberal democracy collapses. So he bought some land up there, presumably to that end. But it turned out that he has, uh, he was between uh, 2009 and about six months ago, he was advertising himself as a counterintelligence, counterinsurgency, homeland security kind of contractor as someone who, you know, was able to provide those kind of services to the US government or whoever else might want to hire him. I got to say, when I first found that connection, <laughs> I started sending encrypted emails. I didn't know what I was looking at. I mean, it, 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 there were always rumors um, within the base, within that that group that this guy was, and, and amongst white nationalists generally, that the base was a, a honeypot, this guy was a fed. And I kind of thought that that's what I was looking at, an extremely high-level espionage effort rolled out by the US to, to sort of entrap a bunch of, draw out a bunch of violent white nationalists into the open and entrap them. I, I kind of don't think that's the case anymore. I think that's the least likely possibility, but it, it seemed like that might be the case for a while. But gradually it, it kind of emerged that... Um, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of hints going way back into this guy's background that maybe he has had uh, far-right beliefs, various flavours of far-right belief for quite a while. He's recently moved to Russia, and uh, he moved to Russia. Uh, uh, the, the BBC stood up my reporting, and, and, and they also offered some new information, like that he moved to Russia at about exactly this, right, the same time that he started the base. So it's a very kind of murky situation. You've got this guy who has spent his entire adult life, it seems, working in or adjacent to, I don't know, in intelligence. And now he's in Russia running a, a, a neo-Nazi terror network from St. Petersburg. And it's just not entirely clear what's going on. It's, it's without a doubt the weirdest story I've ever reported. I don't think there's any rule that says you, you're not allowed to be far right if you're in the CIA. No, that's true. I, I guess... What's changed my mind, though, is the way that the U.S. government is reacting to this. You know, the stuff he said internally to other members of the base about getting, um, you know, stopped at airports and, and being able to confirm that he was on some kind of, um, you know, watch list. You know, it's still a possibility because I don't think any of us exactly know what's going on. It just seems like less likely to me at this point that that's that that's what's going on. It seems more likely that he was someone who was in that world who became disillusioned with it for whatever reason. Uh, you know, maybe he moved to Russia because he thought he would be tolerated there, or maybe he just wanted to be out of the reach of, of U.S. law enforcement, or a, a lot of white nationalists and white supremacists are attracted to Russia for various reasons, demographic reasons. You know, it's 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 wider than the US. Uh, you know they they have not allowed what these guys would consider to be mass third world immigration to happen in Russia. You know it's it's there's more immigration restriction, and it, and it's an authoritarian kind of state run along lines that they appreciate. So that may be why he moved there. And whatever the Russian state's relationship is to that remains to be seen. Is it ignorance? Is it tolerance? Is it 
active support or sponsorship? Is it that they organise the whole thing from the start? I mean, I think we have to be open to all of those possibilities at the moment. This person is not the only organiser to have constructed some such project. Makes me think of Alexander Slavros and Iron March, which also produced uh, Atom Waffen among a number of other groups. So do you think this latest uh, account regarding the base reinforces the notion that there's something going on in Russia with regards international neo-Nazi networking? You know, um, I don't know if you have a kind of links page that goes along with the podcast, but I can, I can send you some reporting from the New York Times back in 2016, you know, where they detail, and, and, and you guys have probably heard about this, but they detail um, the kind of direct sponsorship of a, of a similar uh, neo-Nazi paramilitary group in, in Hungary. You know, and, and the article's quite good. It, it kind of explains it as, you know, that it, it's kind of like there's no way for them to lose from, from this kind of arrangement. Um, you know, it doesn't cost much. There's not much risk to Russia. There's all kinds of layers of deniability. The whole thing, I mean, okay, let's, let's, let's imagine for a second, let's entertain the notion that this is some kind of Russian operation. Um, you know, putting aside whatever they paid Nazaro in our hypothetical you know, the rest of the operation costs almost nothing. It distracts, you know, federal law enforcement. It um, heightens kind of tensions. You know, a lot of people in my comments were talking about uh, a domestic gladio, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And, and look, I'm not ready to go there yet to to go to any of these places, but I think we have to entertain it as a possibility. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, l- l- let's say they did do it. I mean, the whole thing probably cost them less than, you know, keeping a fighter jet in a single fighter jet in the air for a couple of hours. You know, it's, it's, we need to be open to the possibility that that's what's happening. I, I, I mean, I think there's a high bar though there that we need to clear in terms of evidence, but, but we need to be, we need to be thinking about that. But also I think it needs to be said that this guy was also speaking in terms of a kind of a long tradition of white supremacist thought and activism in the U S I mean, he's a, he's a Butler playing guy. So, you know, he, when he first came on the scene, the first time he was um, visible uh, as a as a neo-Nazi white supremacist activist, he was billed as, and you can still find these videos on BitChute and other places, he was billed as an organizer for the Northwest Front. So that was the organization founded by, the, by Harold Covington, who died in 2018, um, you know, actually at about the same time that the base started. And this Norman Spear guy was built as an organiser for that group. And, um, you know, the Butler Plan or the Northwest Territorial Imperative, again, is this idea that, you know, the Pacific Northwest is is a place where a separatist white ethno-state would be best placed. Whether or not he authentically is a white supremacist with that particular flavour of ideology, he clearly understood it and was willing to, to play it up. Whoever's sponsoring this, whoever's making it happen, why ever it's making it, ha- it happen, um, this guy was tapping into really long-held beliefs, uh, plans, fantasies, whatever, ideologies on on the, the white supremacist far right. So, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't put that aside, I guess. Jason, the other story that you broke this week was uh, that the bases had a uh, long-term anti-fascist infiltrator. Yes, indeed. Pretty much from the beginning. I, I need to be careful um, in what I say about this because that person is clearly in some danger, in some peril, and I wouldn't want to inadvertently 
pass on information that that could be used to identify them. But that person was in the base pretty much from the beginning to pretty much the end. I mean, and, and I think we are talking about the end of the base at the moment. And and maybe the kind of end of organised uh, accelerationist siege culture. I mean, I don't, I don't see any other group on the horizon that's going to be as big as Adam Woffen or the base. Um, so, yeah, they were, they were in it from the beginning. And, you know, they brought out, you know, from what I have seen, they have brought out of that a kind of unparalleled, unprecedented archive of the genesis, growth, and um, operations of a, of a neo-Nazi group. I mean, they they have they have got a lot <laughs> of stuff. So yeah, I mean that's that's an incredible act of bravery. It's an incredible act of sacrifice, in, in, just in the sense that you know the amount of time and effort pulling something like that off is just um, it's almost difficult to kind of comprehend. That person has done something absolutely extraordinary and something that I'm not aware of a precedent for. Hopefully one day I'll be able to tell people, um, you, your listeners, the world, um, more about how that actually worked and, and, and how that person actually managed to to kind of pull that off because it, it, it it's it's extraordinary. But but for now I need to be um, really conscious of that person's safety because um, there are a lot of upset people <laughs> right now. A lot of upset mm. neo Nazis who would like to know who they are, where they are and and, and how to get at them. You are listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. This is Yeh Na Pasaran and we're talking to Jason Wilson about the base. One of the other things that struck me about your reportage on the base and um, also in reading about similar groups like Atom Waffen and Antipodean Resistance and National Action and so on and so forth is... Uh, the youth of those involved. It seems that those ranks are populated often by teenage boys or young men in their 20s who've been radicalised, I guess, online through uh, various forums. You've said that maybe this uh, this is the end of the base potentially, perhaps the end of the kind of strategy based on um, siege and siege culture and so on. Do you think there's a kind of uh, interaction between, you know, on the one hand you've got infiltration and exposure and what's being exposed is often very young people. Do you think that, you know, these are the, the main reasons why these projects are failing? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I know we're time limited, but I, I think it kind of deserves some uh, some time in the answer. I mean, I think that everything that's happened with siege culture, with accelerationist groups, needs to be understood in relation to Charlottesville. So, so you know, in Charlottesville, you saw what they call a, a kind of movementarian effort fail rather spectacularly. So you saw white supremacist groups thinking that this was their moment to engage in public street activism and, and, and to sort of engage in, in forms of activism that are broadly within the the outlines of what liberal democracy makes available you know so street protest um 
you know, more open, unconcealed forms of activism. They thought in the wake of Trump that we can we can actually claim our place at the, the the top table of public discourse. We can openly talk about immigration exclusion, you know, race in 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 the ways that we want to. That didn't work. Charlottesville, the day was incredibly violent and included a murder. Lots of lots of white nationalists who attended Charlottesville had their lives ruined as a result. And so after that, I think there were two responses. One one was keep it on the download, conceal your real beliefs, maybe become involved in forms of conservative activism. You know, don't ruin your life. Just keep your powder dry for now. Go on with your life. Don't tell people about your real beliefs. And and you know, focus on optics, focus on dissimulation, focus on, you know, basically trying to infiltrate conservatism. And and a lot of people have done that quite successfully. The other response was that, you know, there is no political solution is, is more or less the base's motto. You know, there is no way in which through existing political institutions and, and structures that we can, you know, enact um the kind of uh, you know the kind of society that we want to see, which is you know for for most of these guys is an ethnostate. That's that's not going to work. We need to uh, you know this this society for them is 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 decadent. The tensions produced by multiculturalism are too great to have the society survive. It's going to collapse, but maybe we can help it along. And that's basically accelerationism, right? Like you have this impossibly decadent. Um, um, debased, degenerate, they would say, society. It's, it's going to fall apart eventually, but maybe with well-timed and well-placed acts of terror, um, we, we can help it along. And, and they discussed that openly, you know, in, internally. They, they talked about how they could do that. They talked about sabotage. They talked about poisoning water. They talked about, uh, you know, the guys who were arrested in Maryland. You know, you, you've seen this in, in, in federal court documents. They were talking about just randomly opening fire at the Second Amendment rally in Virginia in order to, to to create chaos. This is what they were kind of thinking about. And the trouble is that what we've seen, I think, is that trying to build a movement requires you to be at least semi-public. You know, you need an email address. You need some way for people to contact you. You need an entry point into the movement. So so that means you, you have to let people know who you are and what you are, and that tends to attract hostile attention. And I think that both Adam Woffen and the base have attracted that kind of hostile attention and they also have not been able to bring about a situation where their members, you know, inside the base there was always this concern that, that you know, we shouldn't openly talk about doing anything illegal as long as we don't do that, you know, the feds can't do anything, we'll be fine. But but the kind of people who are attracted to these movements just can't, <laughs> just can't restrain themselves in that way. So it just seems like there are too many contradictions and tensions in trying to, one, build a movement, two, that is committed to the acceleration strategy and contains committed neo-Nazis, and which, three, stays on the right side of the law and, um, you know, doesn't attract infiltrators and, and media attention. I just think that strategy now, as you said, is it has failed. Adam Woffin's a husk. The base is um, a wreck and the other similar groups are are kind of so small that you know they're not and a lot of them have stopped recruiting fear creek division has stopped recruiting you know that th that strategy is kind of in ruins now so that wave is broken i think
And, and, and so the, I guess the question is, what, if anything, comes next? Well, I'm sure we'll be reading all about it in your articles, Jason. Yes, indeed. Keep an eye out for more. Uh, I'm still on it. Thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, as always. That was Jason Wilson there, freelance journalist, talking about his uh, big scoops this week into the base. Uh, you've been listening to Yena Pasaran here on 3CR, 8.55am. That's the end of the show, Andy. But we'll be back next week. We Indeed we will. Global Intifada is up next, so keep it locked in. See you later. Everyone's addicted to bass. Whoa, whoa, oh.